Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nexus Pro. Nexus Pro is an annual or monthly subscription where members get exclusive writing, podcasts, and invites to members-only Zoom gatherings. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexuslabs.online. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Nexus Podcast. All right, episode 37 is a conversation with Shannon Smith, CEO of PointGuard, a building analytics software company out of North Carolina in the U.S., Shannon and I have had several offline conversations, so it was fun to finally hit record for this one. We talked about all things analytics in 2021, including where the actual market is today, compared to where we in the Nexus community wish it was. There were several subtopics within that that I like to call analytics for X. So we talked about analytics for capital planning, analytics for COVID, analytics for risk mitigation, and more. So for all of you data nerds, uh, building performance nerds, uh, without further ado, please enjoy Nexus Podcast episode 37. All right, Shannon Smith, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm excited to unpack some things with you today. Can you start by uh, introducing yourself? Sure. Well, look, I'm, I'm Shannon Smith. I'm the CEO of uh, Point Guard uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, James, one of the first things I want to do is just thank you for Nexus. I know we've talked about this offline, but I've really enjoyed it. Uh, of course, the pod and the newsletters are interesting. And a couple of our team members are Nexus Pro. Uh, and I've actually used your labs with one of our new onboarding hires. So it's all great stuff. But what I really appreciate the most are some of these new friends I now talk to offline, either to rant with or to work with. But I think the other thing that surprised me is I've enjoyed really listening to other CEOs like me talk about their business yeah. and perspective like Deb Nolan or the Brain Box guy. I think that this stuff is, is good because we're all in it together and it's, it's good to hear what other folks are, are saying. So thanks, thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, something you told me about a month ago or so is that you and Terry, so Terry was on yeah. episode nine, you and Terry have become friends. So shout well, out to shout out to Terry. Uh, shout out to those breakout rooms in Nexus Pro, because that's where we really get to talk and get to know each other. So that's good. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, before we unpack everything we're going to talk about today, which is a lot around analytics for buildings, can you take us through like how you got to this point? How, how did you uh, end up where you're at today? Sure. Well, you told me to, to, to be quick, and it is quick, but we have a little bit of an interesting origin story. Um, and I started Abundant Power, which is Point Guard's parent company, okay. in two, 2009 after a career in private equity and mergers and acquisitions. So I'm a finance guy, got my MBA at the University of Virginia, and then before that was some philosophy and economics, double major, and then to grad school in French lit wow. before, I went, before I went to Wall Street. So I'm not the typical, you know, engineering background. Um, but what I wanted to do in 2009 was solve a planetary problem uh, using a commercial solution. In fact, that's our motto at our company is commercial solutions for planetary problems. And the one we really wanted to go after was climate change. So Point Guard is part of a family of companies, two other companies, but I spend all my time on the software business. So that, that's sort of my background. And then Point Guard 
started as well as a finance company. Uh, Can I we, pause you real quick? Can yeah. you tell me about these office chair, these paintings of these office chairs? So yeah. for those of you that are just listening on audio, Shannon, uh, like before we get into the nerdy stuff, I have to ask, there's, there's two painted, one red, one blue uh, office chair on his, on his wall behind him. Well, I am the father of two sets of twins. And part of the reason why I actually left my Wall Street job was to, to be more present with my kids. And so I have a wall of art up here that is uh, their artwork. And that's, that's what my son and daughter painted probably when they were seven or eight years old. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if you were just in your office and you're bored. When you're bored, you at <laughs> paint office materials. <laughs> my, office kid, my kids are much more artistic than I am, but I'm okay. lucky that reminds me of them. So, yeah. All right, cool. Sorry to interrupt you. Let's go. To, yeah, <laughs> go back to point guard. What were you going to say? Yeah, so just the, the origin story uh, there was a little different because we did start out in finance. In fact, we were managing a big finance program through our one of our other finance companies, Clean Source Capital, for the state of Alabama and um, introduced to them around 2014 this idea to finance control systems upgrades that then would repay the loan to buy those control system upgrades over a period of time using the savings generated by the control system itself. Yep. And uh, we looked at a lot of software and, and ended up going with Sky Foundry and to help these customers do that. And of course, I called Petsy up and said, what the hell have you sold me? Uh, he said, hire a developer and team him up with one of your engineers. And that's how we, <laughs> that's how we got started. And we grew and grew and, and, uh, and, 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 but it was a shared savings model. And finally, okay. we, we spun Point Guard off in 2018 because um, a number of our customers asked us if they could use the software. Hmm. And okay. so we decided it, it could, in fact, be used by others. And so at the very end of 2018, we launched Point Guard, spun it out in a different subsidiary. Uh, and brought in some investors in 2019. So I think Matt Schwartz in one of your podcasts said, we got sucked into BMS, kind of didn't didn't expect to get here. I said that people asked me how we got into point guard and I said back, walking backwards. I actually said that, that was me who said oh, that. I feel okay. like I came at this industry from the energy management angle. You know, I'm fresh out of school, want to change the world, want to save energy. And BMS controls has just sucked me in yes. <laughs> for the last 10 years uh, because you can't ignore, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore all the problems there if you want to solve the bigger ones. Not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, so we, we kind of come at it from a finance perspective and, um, and, and did look at the shared savings model, which is out there, uh, but then ultimately went for a straight SaaS model eventually in 2018. Cool. Cool. All right. Before we get into point guard in a little bit more detail, let's go with a couple of my favorite questions here. So let's do the, the historical one. I know because you and I have had these conversations before. Why do you think technology is so far behind? Even though we're in 2021, we'll do the 2020 question one more time. Well, you know, I, I guess there's nothing new to add. I mean, I've listened to your podcast enough to know that there's, that I violently agree with most of all the perspectives that have already been <laughs> identified, you know, lack of standards, OEM entrenchments, split incentives or bad incentives for the OEMs and building owners. Uh, I, I wrote down lack of talent and, or no IT talent, organizational structure. Uh, someone, I think in one of your podcasts talked about the distance from buyers to users, which I think is relevant. It's a huge um, one. Yeah. But you know, I, I thought maybe just adding a, a perspective or two from my background in, in private equity and finance, and also being a student of business models, 
um, we've talked about this some over time, but I want to amplify it, uh, which is this idea that real estate is more of a debt instrument of value than an equity instrument of value. And there is a difference. You know, the real estate industry has been around for a long time. Some could say it's the world's largest asset class. Our market alone is 40% of the real estate world. And I had a, a guy from, um, from Wells Fargo once tell me, a pretty senior person, that the American real estate industry and all the ancillary industries is larger than the Chinese economy. That's, so that may deserve some fact checking, but it's directionally correct. And, and just says that that market, it's an entrenched market and creating change in the space. You know, one of the core instruments for financing real estate is something called a bond indenture. Bonds are debt and, and debt is a debt instrument. So bond indentures are these excruciating legal documents that basically set the rules in place for the duration of that bond or the debt instrument. Okay. And again, I'm comparing that to real estate and basically that instrument, that bond indenture is a 20-page, 40-page piece of paper. It's not supposed to be looked at unless things go wrong. Mm. What that means is everybody does the same thing for 20 years. Mm. Okay, so that is what the debt mentality is. And that mentality exists throughout everywhere in real estate versus an equity mindset that's always evaluating risk and opportunities in real time. So it's being a you know, risk-adverse mentality or cost versus profit mentality. And I see that everywhere. I mean, I've been surprised and you know, I go to ULI uh, a lot in how the leaders in real estate pay lip service to technology, but they don't really understand it or have a vision for it. It's just not the way they think. And I've how often, do you, do you think that is shifting or is that? Well, I do think it'll, I do think, it'll, I do think it will shift. I do think that the health of real estate organizations or any organization, frankly, when I was used to sit on boards of companies was, could be determined by its ability to accept change mm-hmm. and implement technology. And now I learned this from my investment background. What I've found is a lot of real estate organizations are really aren't organizations. They're not run that way. Uh, there tends to be a dysfunctional relationship between leadership and facility management. Facility mm. management is not sexy, cost cutting, nothing to see here, run to fail. I've, you know, I've seen yeah. where some of these organizations, the folks that lead it, they have a person that runs facility management. They call that person Bob or, or Gene. And they know Bob and Gene do important things, but they really don't want to know what they do. Yeah. And that kind of lack of core to the business model, I think, is, is absolutely one of the main reasons why we're so far behind. You know, there's the Morris curve of adopting technology, and there's behind the laggards for all other industries, there's another Morris curve for adopting technology where the real estate industry sits. So, you know... <laughs> new adopters in real estate are behind laggards and everyone else. I mean, that's sort of a view, um, you know, so debt mentality, dysfunctional relationship versus equity mentality and sort of a core healthy organizational structure are things that to me are more systemic in nature. Things that could change that really, um, I think are going to be the two things that threaten that model, which is talent drain and tenant focus. And, and I think Talent drain is, is a real problem that will ultimately affect these models and the downturn, particularly a lot of real estate industries turn to cost cutting and fee-based businesses and the talent's not there. It's hard. It's mm. difficult. And that will get everyone's attention. And then, and then the new tenant focus that's been emerging around what tenants want. And even in our side of the facility management business, you know, we believe that you can actually customize a building to the tenants that are in it. So we think that'll help. COVID, you know, COVID is a big deal. I think I was listening to an economist speak the other day. He thought that COVID will impact us similarly to how the Great Depression impacted 
you know, a generation of people's thinking. And so we'll see what happens, but for sure it didn't change history, it just accelerated it. So I think these models, these two core systemic issues are, are gonna be important. And what do you mean by the talent drain? Who, who specifically? Well, I think just, you know, senior techs you know, versus junior techs, the, the types of buildings that have to be uh, managed, the amount of time that's, that's available. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing our, our customers have an A team and five C teams. Got it. Yeah. And, and the A team could retire at any time. The A team retires and it moves from product project to project. And when they bring the C team in, then, the, then they have a lot of building drift. And our software is a solution for that. So let's get into that. So what is Point Guard? Do you consider, is it, is it just software company or services wrapped around it or kind of take us through it? Yeah, well, sure. Well, you know, um, so we're a, a BMS overlay that you, you've used that terminology that uses Sky Foundry as a core uh, part, although it's only about 5% of our code stack. But we have some seven key components to what we do. We have energy, which is smart metering, circuit meter, benchmarking, classic you know, stuff. Uh, data onboarding is a part of what we do. And we're productizing a number of things there that I'd love to talk about. Okay. We do uh, fault detection around asset comfort, et cetera. Then we do the advanced diagnostics, which is some of the things that are important to you, like sensors, uh, we're sensor compatible. We do have some automated supervisor control. The area that's really near and dear to my heart is our long-term capital and operating analytics, which is where we get into asset sensors and machine learning. And then the, the other uh, two areas is workflow. You've always said that's important. We thought it was too. We, we have workflow as well as some tenant management apps like uh, off hours requests. We have a product called Goldilocks and a few other things. So it's, it, I, w- I don't like using the word platform because one of the things I'll tell you right off the top is that I think you've had this debate on your podcast. That terminology is, is challenging. We're a tool. We're, yeah. we're, a, we're an important tool for our customers and we, we try to meet them where they are um, and what they need. Really refreshing to hear you say that. The word platform, as people have heard me say, is just so thrown around, so overused. So it's really fr- refreshing to see you actually downplaying it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. So I will kind of want to get into, I think you have some progressive views around analytics and you kind of agree with me and, and a lot of my progressive ideas around analytics, I think. Let's talk about though, maybe some like status quo, old way to do it. Sort of like what's the, the state of the analytics industry right now? And, and maybe I'll, I'll kick us off. So I'm writing this piece right now and it'll be sending out to members before this podcast does just one, one day before. Um, and the premise that I'm working around is like, we make a lot of promises about analytics. So predictive maintenance, we're going to digitize facility management, right? We're going to create X percent of savings. So some people throw around 20%. And I don't want to like throw that under the bus because I am potentially the biggest believer in this topic, but I am maybe challenging the industry a little bit here in that how much of those promises are actually true today? Um, You know, 10 years into analytics becoming this thing that, you know, is generally accepted as a good idea. And so I'd love to get your thoughts around like where we're at before we talk about kind of the, where we need to head, where are we at and what are some of like the, the misconceptions and the challenges with, with where we're at today with this? Well, there, there's so many I mean, people that listen to this podcast that have, you know, really amazing perspectives. I mean, my, my view 
coming at it the way we described earlier, coming at it backwards as a finance, we kind of woke up and said, oh my God, there's a there's an industry here. There's this word called prop tech and cretech. And I call it the shallow alto uh, verbalization words that, that are are not very practical. I mean, we we say our, our software is data that turns a wrench. You know, if you're not driving toward turning a wrench, which nothing good's happening in the building unless a wrench is turned. Hmm. And if it's not ROI, so we really focus on profit because it's all about profit and businesses are about profit and the business of management is about turning a wrench. So I, you know, I think words matter. I don't believe in transformation. I believe in enhancing. I don't believe in platforms. I believe in tools. Hmm. And I think the word usage you're talking about there is oftentimes due to the shallow alto where we tend to communicate where we want the industry to be versus where it actually is. Hmm. And what do you mean by shallow alto? Like as opposed to Palo Alto? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Because okay. of Palo Alto. You know, venture capitalists are great. I mean, heck, I was in that, I was in an adjacent industry to that. And, and there are probably people that want to take business models from other places, other sectors of our economy and say, well, it applies here and let's use the same terminology. And I think that that can be dangerous, right? And then we overshoot, overshoot where we really are in terms of our promises and we then under deliver and yeah. we create false positives, false negatives, and then we lose credibility and it damages the whole industry. So I think that's totally. just an important, important thing. Um, yeah. So if people talk about things like as if they exist, wh- where are we at? Where's the market at right now? Well, I, I think there's been some, uh, uh, some acknowledgement that, um, well, first of all, I think there's way too much data. I mean, the customers are confused. I, I think you have like 160 folks on your list of, of yeah. buyers. And on one hand, you know, I, I was looking this up out of curiosity and, and right at the turn of the century, there, over, there were over 400 automobile manufacturers in the United States. Okay. So I think we're kind of in the same spot. Now, now the choices are more reasonable, but I can't imagine, you know, how 400 cars you could choose from. You mean, you mean at the turn of the century, the turn, the turn of the 20th century. century? At the turn of the 20th century. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As far as where it came along. I, okay. So, so I, I, think, um, I think there's a lot of customer confusion and, and confused customers don't buy. It's paralyzing. And you have everyone saying the same things and some of these same words, some words that have been hollowed out and some words that don't apply to the industry. So I think we're at risk of doing that. But at the same time, I'm super bullish. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue that is out there that I would argue uh, pretty strongly about, and I've heard some of the CEOs talk about this in a productive manner, is there's too much data. I mean, we're kind of in love with data. Mm-hmm. And I agree that data has tremendous value and there's a lot to come out. But I really believe in the Pareto principle. And um, not all data is created equal. And some data is, is good to have. And some really drives value. And we're, we're trying to actually organize our user experience that way on our portal where you can kind of get to the things you want quickly. And then all the other data, you know what category to put it. But when you open up some of these platforms and screens, it's this data overload. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that from our customers. This is overwhelming. Uh, What you've created is a Cadillac product. And what I need is a, a, you know, is, is a Honda Civic. Yeah. And so that's where we've had to move our product is we have a monthly product now that provides one item that we automatically curate that, that we provide with a guarantee of NOI or ROI on it so that they'll never pay us more than they pay for this service. And it's very bite-sized stuff. And 
and goes down to some of the things like what you know Switch did with their, I think, DX product. We have something similar. Those kind of bite-sized products and value-driven products where the data is, is, is got a hard direct line to ROI versus data for data's sake. Yeah. It's something that we're dealing with. And I think we're kind of sorting, kind of chopping our way with the machete out of those woods because we all ran into it, screaming data and machine learning. And it kind of, we got confused and our customers got confused. I love it. I love it. And I think that there's a lot there to be learned for a lot of the startups out there because you see a lot of their marketing around the finished product. And I, I think eyes glaze over. I think, yeah, where we're trying to get to 10 years from now is autonomy. And if you work backwards uh, from that, you're you're going to have some really cool product. But like right now, like you said, you're just handing one insight per month. Like go fix this damper this month. And then we'll talk to you right. next month. Like that's where the marketplace is today. And yeah, and, and, yeah, I mean, another thing that's out there are pilots. I mean, pilots are, if you think about pilots, you tell me, okay, so I got to use this for, a year or how long before I find out whether it's worth anything mm-hmm. or you, you got a case study, which is someone else's building. And we try to reimagine, we now do a 30 day snapshot and say, you don't, you don't have to hire us for a year just to see if this thing works. Hire us for 30 days totally, and, and get, make it less painful. And I, I would encourage that, you know, the whole pilot, you know, land and expand. I do believe in that business model, but I also think it can be right size for the market we're dealing with. Yeah. And uh, I think something that complicates analytics deployments today is that when you have, say, per point and then volume pricing, the people that are doing the analytics project are a little bit incentivized to pull in all the data, get all the points, because you know you start to get volume. It becomes cheaper per point, cheaper per system to do that. But really, it's about tailoring that solution for the customer. So that, that, that's sort of irrelevant what happens on the back end. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the conversations you're having uh, about ontologies and all that are absolutely critical. I and mean, we're a haystack house, but we're, we want to talk about those things. But the customer is on a path and we, it's our job is in this industry to meet them where they are on that path, you know, not to be yelling at them from the end of the path, telling them that they're losers if they're not over here. And, uh, and in fact, that's what we call it, the point guard path. And we try to find those products. And and there are a lot of other good ones out there, you know, our competitors that are offering similar, similar things, mm-hmm. I think. We're starting to do that more. Cool. Let's talk about this need for consolidation. I didn't actually realize you had this private equity background. So I've heard others talk about, um, you know, there's this whole SPAC, is that, uh, SPAC? SPAC. <laughs> SPAC situation going on. Um, I just exposed my financial uh, ignorance there. So... I think there's a lot there's a lot of people that think there's a lot of consolidation opportunity in our industry. I think my vendor landscape backs that up uh, with here's this list of 160 companies, you know, something like 80 of which call themselves analytics companies. Um, they can't all survive. They can't all and and to be fair, there are different verticals within there. You know, I have some that are focused on refrigerated retail. I have some that are focused on XYZ vertical, right? Right. But for all intents and purposes, there's too many companies doing analytics. So educate me around consolidation. Like, how do you think this is going to work? Yeah. I mean, look, I love this company. We have an amazing team, but I also know you have to look at where we sit in the the market. You have to look at, at, at what's the logical outcome for this space. I do believe that there's a tension between point solution. You know, well, let me first off say I'm super bullish. Like I said earlier, there are 
Ford and automobile makers at the turn of the 20th century. And I think we're in a similar place in our industry. The market's in a very early stage and there is a big market out there and a lot of companies can survive. I mean, our break even is, is minuscule compared to the size of the market we serve and even the size of the market here in the Southeast where we're headquartered. So uh, from that perspective, it's great, but the reality is it is confusing, right? Yeah. And, and therefore, it's natural for us to be part of um, people having a larger conversation where a convergence is one plus one equals three. So for groups like us, which you put us in sort of an AFDD, uh, maybe an ASC space and then mm-hmm. other things, we're, we're a logical, a logical um, partner to some CMMS platforms. In fact, we're, we're working with several right now and integrating with them or space management platforms on that side. We are also working with control system vendors that want to install our software in their their control system. So those are other channels where people are already in a a conversation where they control the line of scrimmage with the customer and maybe provide less confusion to the customer and can then provide a more comprehensive solution. And I think all that's gonna happen over time. And on top of that, there'll be some just straight inside our sector consolidation, which needs to happen. But again, that requires some lack of ego, some investment mentality, maybe the equity mentality I talked about earlier. And when you have a lot of startups, everyone loves their baby, right? So it's kind of hard to, uh, to you know, drop them off at kindergarten, <laughs> which yeah. is what we're going to have to do over time. I, and I do think that there are some consolidations happening. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if the sector-focused funds have been good for the industry or not. I think probably a net positive, but it does create some fragmentation that may not be necessary. Totally. So, so I'm optimistic. I think there's an increase of, of went from about 80 to 100 deals broadly in our space, not just in the space, James, that you speak to. I think over the next two or three years, we should anticipate a lot of, a lot of consolidation and, and more, I would say, strategic intentional hmm. partnering, which, which certainly Point Guard plans to be a part of. Yeah, there's a bunch of different types of consolidation, not just companies getting acquired. Yep, for sure. And I think that that is important. You know, one, one thing I'd love to just uh, bring up with you that, that I don't see being talked about in our space, which I think could be an interesting conversation as a group to have, which is how we move from being a vitamin to a painkiller. <laughs> That's what okay. I like to think about it. Okay. And, and I think one path for us is thinking about our industry more in terms of risk reduction versus mm-hmm. performance enhancing. Okay. So, and that's why I'm so fascinated and why we got early on into moving into what our capital budgeting as a big area, because real estate's one of the only uh, major, in fact, I think it's the last industry sector that doesn't use condition-based data for capital replacement. It's a big area of opportunity because it embodies risk. Now, 82% of equipment breakdowns are unplanned. Property condition assessments, which asset managers used and, and, and people use to plan out capital budgeting are useless for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's amazing to me, James, that when you buy a building, a class A office building today, how little information from the BMS control system gets into that report of risk. I mean, it's a dirty little secret about the PCAs. And, and there are a lot of interests that could fight against that. But if you think about- What's a PCA? A property condition assessment. Yeah, okay. 
So I just feel like um, we're understanding what the analytics side, particularly the BMS analytics has to say about risk in a hmm. building versus performance in the building and is, is could be a place where this industry would grow. I mean, think about the property condition assessment industry. That industry is required by banks and insurance companies to buy buildings. So you have, it's a check the box, right? right. And, and so I think of it like an environmental uh, risk business where you have a phase one, a phase two, and a phase three. Okay. So phase one is, is there anything to see here? And okay. you know, th that could be something like our snapshot or, or some of these other products. Is there, is there risk here in this building based on the real-time data coming off the control system? Hmm. If there is, second would be environmental phase two. I mean, these are Googleable, so the listeners who've never heard of a phase two can go Google it. But, that, but the phase two is in, okay, within this time to create a remediation plan you know, and start to remediate. And then phase three you know, is so how do we then cap it off? So that kind of compliance framework and risk reduction framework, I think is actually available to us. Hmm. Uh, it's just not being accessed enough. You know, we've made some outreaches to insurance companies and lenders, but I think that there's, there's an opportunity for all of us to consider that kind of conversation. And it, and it does a number of things. It speaks the language of debt, right? Mm. It, it, it moves what we do into a compliance framework. You know, it also opens us up to the core model of real estate and, and to the leaders of the real estate industry, I think, long-term. And other people that haven't used this, like asset managers um, and owners who don't actually think too much about what we do, except for the leaders. And there are some great leaders out there. And I think all of us have customers who are leaders, but there's so many we don't have, which are followers and those, or not doers at all. But I had a I had an asset manager of a very, very large company that you would know the name of, told me he had 50 asset managers and that for 49 and a half of them doing nothing was the appropriate course of action. Okay. That's, that's what we're dealing with. So I do believe risk, you know, when you start revealing how we frame risk, that's, a, that's an opportunity and I'd love to see it discussed more. Yeah, this is something that when I just, you know, there's a LinkedIn conversation happening. So when this episode comes out, it'll be a week ago now, but people are kind of, I, I think there's a misconception that analytics is a tool for the building operator, um, which I'm not saying it's not, but I, I'm saying it's not an either or thing. I'm not saying we need to create analytics for the building operators only, right? I, I think that something that you just spoke of is like there's different stakeholders that can get value out of the same data and it's the analytics job. This is an opinion that I'm developing. Analytics job to curate the insights for whoever's exactly. specifically logging in, right? So the building operator might care about the broken valve, but the person buying the building, you know, tomorrow might care about um, the history of that valve over time and how many times it's required to be replaced. Just making up an example but they might care about their risk is what you're saying um, for when that valve's going to break tomorrow or how many valves do I have across this whole building that need to be replaced right now? And what sort of tenant comfort issues are those causing that I'm going to have to deal with once I acquire this building? Like those types of, those are different insights for different people. And I think that when I start to think about analytics 2.0, I'm starting to think about how our products need to start to mature so that they start to solve different problems for different people. It's not a narrowing, I don't think. I think it's an expansion. Right. Anything. 
Yeah, I agree. You have your persona and then you find out you know, how you can meet them on their path. I think, again, it goes back to language, for example, you know, predictive and prescriptive analytics, great term, love it, believe in it. But, but there's, there's already like problem sets that go well before that, you know, for, on the capital budgeting side. And again, I want to keep stressing this capital piece is equally or more important piece to our future than the operating piece because it, it's a bigger number and it affects more stakeholders in the real estate ecosystem. Hmm. Totally. And, and so being those personas, I mean, our CapEx is just adding real-time data into an existing rubric for making capital budgeting decisions. You don't necessarily have to go all the way into prescriptive and use words like AI. You can say, take this data into consideration. Right. You, have a, you have a willing audience for that. And we, you know, so you, know, you don't have to do advanced modeling and all this kind of stuff. This industry is still run by Excel spreadsheets. So just have to remember that. You have to fit into that environment, not, not another environment. Yeah, and this is where you were getting at, you mentioned workflows and how I like to tie things to workflows earlier. So tying the, the new insight into someone's workflow is a step up from what a lot of people are doing on the analytics side. I think right now, uh, the state of the art, if you will, on analytics is that they're saying, here's this dashboard or here's this KPI. But what we really need is like, we have to go one step further and say, what persona are we affecting with that? And what workflow are we inserting it into? I think all the people out there applying the analytics, that's what applying it means. That's what human in the loop means. It's like what human and what loop, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And we should be developing our product. And look, we're not innocent, okay? We, we've certainly chased a bright, shiny thing here and there. And I'm probably in our team, the one most guilty of that. But if your users or your personas, the people that you're aren't driving your development, you're probably you know, following a shallow alto path that could, could get so far ahead of your customer, you'll never have one. And I totally. think that's important to, to where we're headed. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Cool. So what else needs to happen for this to go to mainstream? I know you wanted to talk about onboarding. Is that one of the one of the topics you wanted to hit? Well, yeah. I've been encouraged by some of my, my colleagues in the space. We certainly have begun to do more of this stuff, which is just, I call it a prebiotic, meaning that even like even when we have our snapshot, which is a precursor to implementing the technology, we found that there are even smaller analytic uh, prebiotics that you can put in your stomach to improve your digestion. If you know that term, you have, you yeah. know, Okay, so it's just sort of like things that just kind of get everything ready to be digested and okay. are smaller bite sizes. So the data onboarding, you know, you have teams that just need help with that. You have teams that may want a, a data lake. I mean, people use the term digital twin, but we can provide things like that. You have products that are cybersecurity scans. Uh, you have products that do sequence of operations. That's all they do. Okay, testing hmm. function products so that Again, it just allows people to begin to build trust to, to solve a direct problem that is out there that, that makes their lives easier. 
you know, our goal is to help people make decisions, better decisions more quickly. I think, you know, it's not that fancy. It's not that safe. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing as a company and helping them make money. Right. And so right. Um, those are, those are how we try to orient our, our development uh, turn. And I think that those things, the more we can help people move on to the path, I guess, and not, you know, not just talk about AI and, you know, automated, um, control, which I know you and I've gone back and forth at. I said, sure, I believe that's going to happen. I, I think we need to manage our expectations of the scope and, and when it'll happen. But the, the, the building that's fully automated that doesn't have a human involved is about as inevitable as a paperless bathroom. And, um, and so, you know, and so we just got to tone it down a little bit and say, okay, you know, and there are customers that are interested in some of that automated set point adjustment, but, but most are not. And most would just love for you to help them with sequence of operations. And most would just help, like for you to help them with some straightforward things and allows them to get their feet wet and move, move down that path. And I think those, those things could be helpful in our industry. Uh, again, it goes to your point in <laughs> platforms. You know, the, the issue that, uh, the other issue is clearly this one of, of just speaking to each other and being able to have these buildings that are more open, uh, that, that conversation I thought was fantastic. And we certainly fight that battle every day yeah. and um, really believe in some of these products that are out there. We have our own, like Voltron, but ours is not in Python, but in Java. So you know, we, we love this type of stuff that has to happen as well. Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny when you talked about onboarding, I thought you meant like these platforms like you were just talking about, but you were also talking about kind of leading the customer into the path, onboarding them into this analytics journey. You know, we could talk about machine learning to onboard buildings really quickly and, and integrate, you know, um, but there's also, yeah, you're leading someone onto the path and there's always a first step. And I think what we're doing is skipping a lot of maybe easier first steps that could be getting people onto the path. Uh, love yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's a really important part of least, and, and you know, you and I were speaking beforehand. I feel like we've, we've learned this probably through making mistakes, not necessarily because we started with a, a grand vision, but it became pretty clear. And, I, and fortunately for me, we have some good mechanical engineers here who, when I would go to a conference and come back with these terminologies, they would just look at me and scratch their head and go, what are you talking about? You know, we need data. They just say to me, Shannon, we need data that turns a wrench. And I said, okay, okay. And I go back to my desk, you know, but, uh, but it finally sunk in, you know, eventually I, I, I may be done, but I'm slow and I've, I've picked up on this and, and now I'm, I'm completely a believer in it. And then once I kind of begin to put those lenses on, you begin to see, I don't necessarily think our industry is making like fundamental massive errors but i do sometimes worry that our we can kind of get lost in our own conversation sometimes and that and if we're lost then then our customers for sure are totally so something i wanted to ask you about before we kind of get towards wrapping up i wanted to ask you uh, also about service contracts so it's kind of hand in hand with capital planning Um, again a different stakeholder right but same data that could be useful to a different workflow right uh, talk to me about what you're seeing in, the, in that area. Well, we're, we're kind of new. Um, we believe this is important. We've been working with outsourced facility management groups and ESCOs. In fact, we just you know, won a pretty big one with a large facility management company uh, yesterday, um, about 3 million square feet. But the idea there is that they can use this to stay sticky. 
Mm. Uh, they can use it to prove their worth, which is oftentimes not completely understood. Totally. They can use it to verify the, you know, the, the, their actions. In fact, one of the things we offer in our software is vendor verification, which verifies that the actions were actually, the data supports that the equipment was indeed repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does allow them to reimagine how they negotiate and set up service level agreements. Love it. Yeah. If I, if I could come back and you know, start a, a facility management company that was totally tech enabled, I mean, the, these companies do struggle because it goes against, it's sort of like someone saying, you, you're going to have to stop drinking. <laughs> you, you, you know, you don't really want to stop drinking like a, you know, a beer or, or something like that, you know, yeah. gonna, and, and so they really have to, well, it's going to be good for you and you'll like it when you're on the other side of it. And we've seen a few companies that have really embraced this and begun to really think about it, but I would say the industry is still in nascent um, stage about how this can really help them. I, and maybe you've seen something, James, I haven't, but, but we're just seeing that conversation start with three or four of our customers and, and we're encouraged, but we're not like, no one's, you know, no one's buying a new boat based on that. Well, I think, I think it goes back to the vitamin or painkiller thing. I think if their competitors start to create analytics driven SLAs and start to provide higher value and prove that higher value and potentially even have a higher return on the owner's investment. And then now they're competing against someone who's not, I, I think that, so Alex Grace from Clockworks on episode four, call it the carrot or the stick, right? I, I think there's a potential yeah. flip that's a, that could potentially start to happen. Uh, well, this, this COVID thing is true. I mean, I think Deb mentioned it in her your conversation with her about, you know, that we saw kind of the whole market taser for about four to six months, but this whole idea of remote work and, mm-hmm. and a little more efficient on your truck rolls yeah. and, and then empty buildings and yet, yet still having to manage them. And, and th- those are the types of things where that's going to may take a year or two, but it's going to, it's going to affect facility management, I think for quite some time to come. Totally. And I think, I think our industry is well suited to meet those needs as long as we talk about it in the right way. Um, turn a wrench and make a profit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Cool, Shannon. So a couple of things for, 2021, I got like three layers of questions as we kind of look towards the future here. Uh, So number one, I want to ask you about COVID first. So analytics for COVID, right, is is something that I think is, it's been talked about, but I don't know that it's really been celebrated enough. So it's beyond just remote access, remote monitoring. So what else, what else is it? And what are you excited about for that? Well, I think, I think there's obviously enterprise level value around remote building management. But if you're thinking about analytics for COVID, I mean, we, we offer a building health check and, and use sensors to help. And I think our, that's a real opportunity to the extent that that's a real thing. I think that uh, there's a lot of um, confusion still in the facility management world. If you go on FMIND, places like that, about really what's the best strategy for making tenants or occupants excited to come back into buildings. But, but having some benchmarking around that is important. I had someone say everything starts with benchmarking and, and maybe that's another point to make. Having good benchmarks, even around the BMS are important and what's going on. And so building health is a benchmark and we can create that just like Energy Star scores. And so we're, we're working hard with products like that. Um, and I think that's a real opportunity for our industry. Yeah. And this is another area where I feel like there's some platform misconception because you have 
there's a lot of IAQ companies, many of which listen to this podcast, but they're coming in, not saying anyone's doing anything wrong here, but coming in saying, here's my sensor, I'm gonna provide a vertical solution. Uh, they're usually gonna call it a platform, but it's basically a way for you to view that data, right? And it's a, basically a new silo, right? Uh, it's a IAQ yeah. silo, right? We had all these other silos and now we have another one, right? And so yeah. how do you guys think about like, cause really it should be start to be swallowed up by the existing overlay provided yeah. in context with all the other data and then provided into a workflow that you're already hitting. Yeah. Right. I, I agree with that. And we, and look, I get it. And, and I do think sensors play a role uh, in buildings that can't be retrofitted or, yeah. or, or the smaller buildings in the 75 degrees might be doing stuff like that, but the BMS is an already deployed sensor system. So why not first check that out? Right. And then that's why we just announced, uh, we have we do sensors too, but we and we have our own that we we actually just buy and integrate into our data and workflow. But again, it goes back to the Pareto principle. You, you, we look at the zone density, we look at what the data is telling us, where the gaps are. That's where you deploy sensors. Hmm. But you don't have to go beyond that. Now, you know there may be some IQ uh, density there around carbon that you might need more information on, but relative to COVID, you don't. And so we're, we're interested to see how this plays out. But I think the BMS plus sensors is a more logical step than those two things being siloed. And I think that's your point. Yep. Cool. So my new 2021 question is, and uh, I know I skipped it earlier. Uh, so what's the number one thing you think needs to change to unlock the industry in the next year? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of covered it. You know, I think having real estate's business model be threatened by either talent or tenant is one and moving just from expanding our vocabulary from performance to risk mm. is the other. Love it. You, you cheated. You cheated, but I'll take it. I think, I think those are both great answers <laughs> and unique <laughs> answers too. Uh, so what are you excited about personally? What are you guys looking forward to uh, rolling out well, in 2021? Well, we're, we're super excited about some of these integrations with the CMMS partners and the, and the controls partners. Uh, these smaller bite-sized products, our sensor product, and we will relaunch our Goldilocks product toward the end of the year, which will be, uh, it's sort of a dumbed down comfy where it's more of a placebo thermostat that allows tenants to basically customize their space and allows facility management to, to respond to it. So th those are some some ideas that are way out there. And, and we do um, we do think there's gonna be some other types of integrations that we wanna add, add in. We've been asked to put water in cool. one customer, lighting in another. So we'll, we'll play around with those, but the, the integrations are the ones I'm most excited about, uh, I think. And um, in this Insight product that I told you about, which is just the monthly one thing, uh, we'll see how that goes, so. Cool. Yeah. So integrating with more systems in the building, but also different cloud applications as well. Yeah. We so. got to join more conversations. You know, I yeah. don't know how many CMMS people are on, on your Nexus Pro, but there need to be more and how many, you know, space management folks. We, we need to be talking a little bit more broadly, I hope. Uh, although don't get me wrong. I love <laughs> Nexus Pro, but I just think that, that, yeah. that bigger conversations are probably better right now. Yeah, that's something that a lot of members have expressed as well as the conversation and the use cases really are that, that we need to be providing are growing beyond just BMS, beyond just HVAC, beyond just metering analytics. Um, and I think Joe Gasperdoni has said something along the lines of there being 30 different uh, IP connected systems in the building. And so there are there's a network of professionals around each one of those silos that 
we as Nexus people hope to bring them into the fold. So I think we should all be inviting them in. Uh, and, and certainly we're excited to meet them yeah. all. Yeah, we need, we definitely want to have more convergence, I think, as the as we move forward. I think that hopefully will happen more in 21 and 22. And you're beginning to see some of it already, but there'll be more, more of it. Awesome, Shannon. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming yeah. on the show. Appreciate it's, it's, it. It's great. I love it. Love what you do. And I'm glad to, glad to be a part of it. So thanks. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.